Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Uh, appreciate everyone checking out the podcast. Uh, as many of you know, I'm taking off a little bit of time, but I wanted to put out some podcasts while I was away. So uh, this this episode, here's what we've got. Penn State wide receiver coach Taylor Stubblefield joined me to discuss the guy that he coached for the last couple of years at Penn State, Jahan Dotson. Got some insight into Washington's first round pick. Obviously, a lot's been made about Jahan Dotson's cat, uh, his hands, his catch radius, his route running. Got some views from from uh, the coach about how about that, but also got a little insight into the player himself. And one thing that comes across to me from this conversation is Jahan Dodson is respectful, but he is not afraid. And that is an interesting dynamic, to say the least, for a rookie. And and I, I'm intrigued by Dodson. It, I'm not exactly sure when this episode is going to come up, but I do have an article up on the podcast. It went up the week of July 4th about Dodson. Spoke with a bunch of folks, including Stubblefield about what he offers to the commanders. Uh, so I think it's a, it's a really fun one, one of the one of the more fun uh, articles I've written in a while. So you can go check that out on The Athletic. Subscribe there. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter, at Ben Standig. And if you have a moment to drop a rating and a review on iTunes for this podcast, it definitely helps a lot. I really do appreciate that. In addition, I'm going to answer a few of your questions. I I, I put out a, the, send out the bat signal week or so ago from when I'm talking to you now for some questions and actually did a whole mailbag episode with my guy Mike Smeltz. However, the Terry McLaurin deal happened and there was a lot of questions about a lot of a lot of emphasis on that and I just didn't have time to sort of go in and edit all that out before I left. So I thought I would just answer a few of the questions here. We'll skip the McLaurin ones uh, and, and we'll get to all that. So um, that's what we've got here on this episode of the podcast. We'll get to all that in a moment here on the Standard Room Only podcast. So first up, my conversation with Taylor Stubblefield, Penn State wide receiver coach. By the way, not just a receiver coach, Stubblefield played four years at Purdue. And when he finished, he set the NCAA record for the most receptions in D1. So this is a guy who got it who got it done. He had a, you know was on the fringes of the NFL, never quite <clears throat> made it, but he definitn't knows he, he he's walked in John Dotson's shoes um, as a star receiver in college and has a feel for what it's going to take for Dotson to get it done in the pro. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this and then I'll get to some questions. So let's do it right now, my conversation with Penn State wide receiver coach Taylor Stubblefield, and then we'll jump into the mailbag here on the Standard Groom Only Podcast. All right, joining us here on the podcast to talk about Washington's first-round pick, Jahan Dotson, is his former receiver coach at Penn State, Taylor Stubblefield. Taylor, I really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you for the uh, opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, I mean, it's not like we wouldn't want to have talked about the first-round pick for the team no matter what, but now that we've gone through OTAs and minicamp, there's a lot to want to discuss because – there's, I, I keep saying there's no such thing as an uh, MVP of the offseason program. But yeah. if there was for offense, I think I would give it to Jahan. He really looked impressive uh, for for, you know, for for any for a rookie or really for any kind of uh, a, a player. How much are you kind of paying attention to his NFL journey so far from uh, from up there in Happy Valley? You know what? It's it's um, 
I'm paying attention to it. I check in with them, uh, you know, maybe once every two weeks, I kind of uh, just check in, see how things are going, um, try to help them through some of the, the, the mental side of, well, really just the transition of it. And someone that I think that uh, he can talk to who I've, I've been there, I obviously haven't been a first rounder by no means, uh, but the transition of pace, the transition of time management, you know, I, I, it was funny. I think his first uh, mini camp, uh, he said he goes to look at, he went to look at the schedule to see where he could fit in a nap. And he realized that they went, were going from 7.30 until, you know, four and with no nap time. I said, yeah, bro, it's a, it's a, it's a job now. It's a legit job. So just things like that, that I can try to help him with. But uh, uh, I, I wouldn't say that I am super surprised, but um, it is a transition. And if there's one thing that Jahan does, he, he does do is he respects the players that are on that team. He's not scared of anybody, but he respects uh, where some of the vets are at. He respects uh, the vets at different positions. And he's, um, he's not going to come in and have these certain expectations on the way that he's supposed to be treated, on the way that, 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 that his reps are supposed to be um, distributed. He's going to go in there and he's going to work and he's going to be consistent. And we often said in our uh, uh, position room that production speaks. Let your production speak, and and uh, I, I'm I'm assuming that that's what he's what that's what he's uh, doing. Yeah, no, for 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 sure. And it's interesting. I do want to ask you obviously about the football stuff, but in terms of sort of that adjustment period, I talked to his new wide receiver coach Drew Terrell um, at the end of minicamp, and he said, you know, the coaches are wildly impressed by what Jahan has done, um, even for the high expectations that they had, but you know, no pads. This is the sort of the early part, easier part of the program. When we, when they get to training camp, the intensity ratchets up, uh, you know, some two a days to a degree, the veterans are really kind of getting into it more and, and sort of Drew's thought was mentally the, the, the ability to stay within yourself day after day, the consistency on that front is going to be maybe the key, not necessarily specifically for Jahan, but for any rookie, but that's what he kind of saw it as sort of the net, you know, what he's going to think will be an interesting step for him going forward. How, what, what do you kind of think of sort of that, that aspect of how do you think Jahan will be able to handle that? Yeah. In terms of the practice load, I think he's going to be fine. Um, in terms of the, the time commitment, that's where there's going to be that adjustment you know, in college, uh, you have a certain amount of time that you can work on football, but then really your mind essentially almost relaxes in terms of football because you got class or you have a little bit of downtime or something along those lines where now you're talking about it's football nonstop. So in terms of uh, the workload, uh, I mean, we, uh, we, we practice pretty hard here at Penn State. Um, his catapult numbers, his his player load, uh, the way that he works during practice, I think physically he'll be fine and, and, and mentally in terms of, of uh, staying engaged, he's going to be spot on. It is just the being in the building for a legit nine hours a day and 10 if you're trying to take care of your body even, even a little bit more. That's, uh, 
that's where he's going to need to lean on some of the vets and, and ask questions. And, and uh, you know, hopefully some of the vets also take, take him uh, under their wing to kind of help him prepare his body, prepare his mind. And uh, so that he can withstand the, the long haul of, of, of the season. Um, let's talk about those hands. Uh, he got a lot of attention before the draft for his, his hands. I think Daniel Jeremiah said maybe he had the best hands in the draft. How does that happen? Is that an evolution over time that you guys kind of worked on and did some drills or did he, is it sort of a, a natural thing for him? And he just has these mitts that grab whatever's, whatever's thrown his way. It's both. I mean, it is uh, probably 90, 92% what he's uh, been gifted. Um, and then there's probably that 8% that has to be trained. There is a, a method behind um, the eye and hand coordination. And then there is a, in some regards, a muscle memory in terms of positions that your body and your hands need to be in in order to catch the ball at a, at a consistent rate. And so um, it is, he has been gifted with the ability to, to have natural, natural hands. And then there is the work ethic to, to train the other 8% to make sure that your, your hands are going exactly where your, where your eyes want them to go. And that your body is also in a position um, to, to catch the ball. And so whether that be that you know, amazing catch or just that standard catch or that contested catch or that tough catch where uh, somebody's draped over you to be able to, to, to make it. And, and um, so he, he's, he's got both, he's done both. And uh, yeah, that joke can catch the ball. <laughs> no, 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 no doubt. I don't know if there's a percentage of receivers that are more hands catchers than body catchers. Like that's always the thing that people notice when a guy is consistently catching it though with his hand rather than letting it get to the body where there's more margin of error for things that could happen, I guess. Um, but is that something that you guys kind of worked on with him or is that just again, sort of that natural thing that he's just able to do that and not just do it, but do it consistently that maybe a lot of other guys are unable to. Yeah. There, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into recognizing who's a natural ball catcher. Um, it's the smoothness of the way that they do catch the ball. It's the slight absorption when the ball does come into your hands. Um, and it's training your eyes not to get shifty. Um, that contested catch is, um, I mean, that can be tough now because you could have a safety right in your gosh dang face, or you have a, let's say a backer that buzzes across your face. You can get shifty eyes and that split second or that split second of just turning your eyes can get you not focused on that ball. His ability to just literally have almost tunnel vision on when that ball's in the air to be able to just focus in on that that's something that um, that people don't understand. And, and, you know, they might be like, oh, that guy has drops. He's, he, he's, he's not catching the ball uh, uh, right. Well, why? His hands are in good place, but his, he has shifty eyes. Jahan has done a tremendous job uh, over the, at least the, the last two years that we've worked together of just focusing, focusing in on that ball, not getting shifty eyes, not getting distracted. Uh, when when things uh, you know get across your face, so he, he's special in that regard. 
Um, I thought if we were going to mention Shifty here, it would be about his ability with the ball in his hands and he's running down the field and escaping uh, defensive backs. We, we saw some of that in camp. Uh, one thing Drew Terrell said to me was when they first got in the rookie camp, Jahan, the rookie camp, he was like, this guy's not running very fast. Like what's going on here? And then he realized, oh, he's running as expected, but he does it so he's so smooth that it doesn't look like he's putting a lot of exertion in, in into it. Is that kind of something that, that rings true to you? I mean, he's, he's silky smooth. He is very, very, very smooth. Uh, you, you know, um, I mean, this is a huge comparison, but it's just somebody it, it's a don't let's not over um, analyze my comparison here. But when, when I was in um, with the St. Louis Rams, uh, Tory Holt would do one on ones and it literally looked so smooth, so effortless that you thought that he was running at like 75%, but he was always, always open. And Jahan has some of that smoothness to him where it just looks like he's just gliding. And then he turns it on. Or then you look at the numbers and you're like, oh, that, that he's actually moving. I do think that there's, there, there's some elite receivers that have that unique ability to um, create an illusion in the DB's mind of, okay, he's not really going, or the ability to control their speed, when to burst, when not to burst, when to look like a burst, when, when to burst, when to explode, the proper times to do those things. And uh, that's the savviness of, of a true route runner. You know, the, the, the wide receiver position is not just about how athletic you are. Like we can, we can go over numbers and numbers and say this dude should be a lead, but then you figure out that some of these super fast guys don't last in the league that long. Um, and then you find these dudes like, you know, shoot like Cooper Cup, who's who's just killing people because of the savviness that he has in his route running. Jahan has some of that ability, and he's just going to fine tune it with the coaching staff. Uh, at Washington I know I need to let you go in a second so let's just ask about Jahan the person you must have some fun story there's always some story out there something that either kind of shows his dedication to his craft or maybe something about his personality away from football that we wouldn't get to sort of see otherwise and helps kind of explain who he is as, as a guy any any uh fun stories come to mind you know not necessarily you know uh uh super fun stories, but, but he's a humble dude, man. He, he, he's very humble. Um, he's not, uh, he's going to ask you how your day is. He's going to talk about you. Uh, it, it, it's not like he wants to have you have that conversation where it's all about him. Um, he's willing to take the trash out at my house. He's willing to, uh, play throwing games with my son uh, which my son won, by the way, uh, w w with him. And he's uh, willing to just, you know, just sit and be still and have genuine conversations that aren't about him. And sometimes, whether you're in college, whether you're in the, uh, in the league, it is often that you have the spotlight on you and it is all about you. And uh, he has a very unique way of making you feel as though he truly cares about you, whether that's a kid, somebody he just met, 
um, a coach, another teammate. Uh, I, I think that's um, a, a quality about him that also makes him special. Awesome. Well, well look, we, we, we definitely in these parts are going to look forward to watching him play and getting to know Jahan better. And we really appreciate your uh, insight into, into him. Taylor Stubblefield, wide receiver coach at Penn State. Thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Um, fun one there with Taylor Stubblefield. Um, I'm going to just jump right into to the mailbag. And I'm looking at the questions here. Uh, the first one that I looked at from at Fresh Donuts with a Z, it's a Taylor, it's a, it's a uh, question about Jahan Dotson. Uh, and the question is, is Dotson a comp to Samuel or are they different style receivers? Um, I, I would say they are different style receivers. To me, based on what I have seen so far with Dotson and based on talking to a bunch of different people about him, I think he's a legit wide receiver. By that, I mean, I kind of view Samuel as a bit of a gadget guy. I'm not saying he's not a receiver. I'm just saying he's not somebody in my head. I always view it as sort of it's third and eight. Can this guy run around and get me, get open to get that first down, kind of no matter what's going on. I I feel like Dotson's got those skills. I don't want to compare him to Terry McLaurin. That feels like a big comparison right now. Stubblefield, as you heard in that conversation, mentioned a comparison to Tory Holt from like a style perspective because he doesn't always look he, he's so smooth he doesn't always look like he's going full gear when he is um but regardless Dotson to me comes across as a legitimate receiver where I just said view Samuel as a bit of a gadget guy to a degree I, I kind of it's why I actually thought when when McKissick when JD McKissick was we thought going to Buffalo why it kind of rang true to me because it felt like You've got Samuel coming back. He can give you some of those McKissick elements out of the backfield. He's lined up plenty over his career from the backfield. Instead, the opposite, they kept McKissick and so on. So I kind of, from Washington's perspective, think to myself, McLaurin's the X. I think Dodson ends up playing more outside with Samuel in the slot. Now, I do believe, of course, they're going to be versatile and move pieces around. I'm just noting that to answer this question, I don't think I'm not saying they're like it's apples to oranges, but I view Dotson more of a receiver and Samuel a little bit more of a gadget guy. That's how I view it. I I didn't ask Scott Turner or Ron Rivera this question, but that's just how I view that. Um, Question from at DC Sports underscore talk. Who gets the most defensive snaps this year out of these three? Uh, Benjamin St. Juice, Derek Forrest, or Percy Butler? Um so, of course, we're talking right now in an era where or in a moment in time where it feels like St. Juice has the lead on the nickel position, which would be more of a traditional nickel as opposed to the Buffalo nickel. I wrote in my latest observations, part two of my observations on The Athletic, how we all sort of, I think, kind of got a little bit crazy with the Buffalo nickel because it sounded exotic and Ron Rivera is giving us some strategy here. But we forget at the beginning of last year, they were using the traditional cornerback in St. Juice more than they were even using Cam Curl at that point. Uh, they were using Fuller inside as a slot. St. Juice would come in and go outside. Now it's reverse with St. Juice in the slot. Fuller staying outside. We'll see how that goes once we get into training camp. So it's easy to kind of go down that route and say him. I'm not, but I think that would be my answer. You know, we'll just see where Forrest and Butler are at. One's a rookie, one is kind of I had a redshirt year last year. I'm not saying that they won't be effective or play a fair amount, but I, I think it's just, to me, St. Juice is the answer right now. But I think Butler is definitely somebody to keep an eye on 
in training camp. Same thing with Forrest. There may be times when I just want to use that Buffalo nickel spot. And who is that player? I think that's a big question. So I'll go St. Juice over those other guys at this uh, point. Let me just flip through here. Um, uh, This is really bad radio uh, or bad podcasting, I should say. Uh, I I like this one. At Bob Matters seventy six, jokingly asked, "How has Reuben Foster looked?" Um, you know, it's one of those guys who always got a lot of questions. Whenever you know, people would lo- there's certain players who just everybody always was obsessed by who ultimately just didn't do much. We know obviously he had the injury, but I was, uh, I thought I found that one to be a bit funny. Um, got some questions here about Cole Holcomb specifically. Uh, one one question here. Uh, is about is Cole Holcomb the second most important or indispensable player essentially on the team after Carson Wentz? And it's an interesting question, and i I haven't done the I haven't put together my list, but the answer may very well be yes. And this is why I've been screaming: they've got to add more linebackers because we're whenever we talk about this, we're going in the world of you know people saying, well, they only play two linebackers. So we don't need more depth. We don't need more people. And we did see them play pretty much two linebackers extensively throughout the offseason program. But what if somebody does get hurt? I mean, what if there's a sprained ankle or something more serious? Then what happens? And right now, the second linebacker is Jamin Davis, who has shown strides. I wrote about that in my in part one of the observations. But he's not a guy that they're definitively playing like he's not locked in with the group that's essentially out there every play. He may play a ton because the second linebacker often would for this group, but I, I I don't know what would happen if Cole Holcomb goes away. I mean, I went down. I mean, I guess the answer would be David Mayo, who has been a starter in this league, looks somewhat competent, but at the same point, that seems like a potentially notable gap. And I don't know that I see that gap elsewhere. Now, you may even say, well, if Wentz went down, you have Taylor Heineke. And Taylor Heineke obviously was a solid player last year, but you're still talking about sort of the ceiling versus the floor aspect of this. I would concur that I think that's a pretty steep one. Uh, Terry McLaurin, I mean, you know, again, best player, best receiver, but you have Samuel, you have Dodson. We can throw in Cam Sims as well. I think they have some other guys. Plus, you know, with McKissick and Gibson able to catch passes, a lot healthy Logan Thomas. I'm not saying anybody wants to see McLaurin hurt or that they would be, that they wouldn't be, that the offense wouldn't suffer. He was out, but I think there's some more options there. Whereas with Holcomb, I think there are a lot more questions. Maybe we could say the defensive ends. Well, actually really any of the defensive linemen because the backups are pretty questionable right now, but we're going to kind of assume that Fedarian Mathis could step in at least a, a decent amount based on the second round pick. If John Allen or Jerron Payne got hurt, there are questions at the defensive end, but we already saw last year Casey Tuhill and James Smith Williams be solid for Washington. So I don't know the answer is them is that either. So I'll, I'll go with Holcomb as the answer there. I don't necessarily know. Like I said, that's the um, I don't know if that's my definitive answer. Don't don't hold me to it. But I think it's a reasonable question for sure. Um, at report warpath. I don't know why I said report like that. At Report Warpath 
said, are there any names at linebacker or cornerback they are looking at right now? Again, we're talking here on, I'm talking on June 28th. By now, they may have signed A.J. Klein or started Latouillet or Joe Hayden or any of the other names that get tossed out a lot or other players as well. So I don't necessarily know. I, I've given you guys different names over time. I have been told that they have checked in with some of the players, including some of the ones I just mentioned. But they have chosen to not do anything at the point that I am talking to you. That said, I would imagine that they do add some pieces, especially on defense, before training camp, even if it's just simply um, for depth. Uh, There are questions at all three levels of the defense. I don't know who the fourth cornerback is definitively. I like Danny Johnson, but I don't know that that's the answer. The linebacker, we just discussed. The defensive line, like I don't think they need more people at this point. Um, if you wanted to tell me they could, they added somebody else, though. I, I mean, I don't think that's crazy. I just, I think they do have a lot of bodies. They're just not a lot of star potential there. It does not feel like that's not a star Latouille joke. Uh, I'm just saying between your Shaka Tonys, your Smith Williams, your um, Daniel Wises, like I, I just don't know that any of them are look like future starters, but that's also to say, we'll see. They've got time to develop their young players. That's what's fun about the defensive line group. But at the same point, there are a bunch of questions as to kind of where things stand um, for that. Um, at young Hef underscore 21 asks, What's the plan at right guard? Is the team planning is is the team really planning to roll with with Trey Turner as his play slipped last year, or is Schweitzer in line to take that role once Rie returns? It's a great question, and one I don't know when we're going to get an answer to this because we'll have to see when does Chase Rie return to action. We heard him tell us uh, during minicamp that his ankle had some legit issues, the bone, the ligaments, plus he has the broken fibula. Now, he sounded hopeful about showing back up um, at some point during training camp, but until it happens, we'll have to see. Plus, his backup, Tyler Larson, is also on the side with an Achilles injury, which is why Schweitzer's been filling in there. I think Schweitzer's really a valuable piece on that offensive line, and it wouldn't stun me at all that if Rue or Larson came back and could start, that Schweitzer would have a legit shot to play at right tackle. Um, that said, Trey Turner is a guy who obviously knows Ron Rivera and John Matsko. They signed him. They haven't signed a ton of guys this offseason, but he's one that they did bring in. So I would guess that it's Trey Turner's job to lose, but I am intrigued to see if Schweitzer would have a shot um, once uh the center situation has a little more, has a few other options um, than they do right now. All right. Um, my, my pal, Doug, who I saw recently at a, at a party and uh shout out to Doug and his uh, kids who listened to the podcast. Appreciate that. Uh, Doug asked me this. If Chase Young has another lackluster performance, is there any chance that the commanders pivot to try and extend or re-sign Duran Payne Extend sweat and trade Chase Young. Um, so in part two of my observations that I wrote up on the athletic, I I I threw out a bunch of different Duran Payne questions. 
that we really still don't know the answers to. And by the way, as I'm talking to you, for all I know, Duran <laughs> signed a contract or something is developed there, but we're just going to talk here as if nothing's happened. And as we stand here, I'm still going to have the sense that that they, he's still unlikely to get an extension. But we'll see now that McLaurin is is done, as I talked about on the on the day that the uh, McLaurin deal came out with Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. Um, they at least have some more certainty of what their math will look like going forward now that McLaurin's done, but I still don't feel like from an asset allocation standpoint it makes sense. But among the caveats are, what if they decide that if they want to keep three of the four linemen that they pivot to, to, to pain because the two defensive ends aren't showing much. And I do think this is something to keep in mind or to consider. Now, defensive ends are more valuable than tackles in general. I mean, I'm not pointing at Aaron Donald. I'm just saying, you know, general, the, the edge rusher, you, you pay the edge rusher before you pay the tackle. They've already paid John Allen, which is why Jerron Payne is the likely odd man out of the four, should all four not uh, stay. But I do think it's a reasonable question to ask about this, because what if Deron Payne, who's going to be, plays hard anyway, but he's going to be extra motivated, you would think, this year, where he may be going into his free agent year, what if he crushes and has a big year? Um, they could always go the franchise tag now that McLaurin is done. But that would be basically paying $18 million, the same as what John Allen's making. But I always remember back when Jack Del Rio showed up here in 2020, and I asked him for, you know, when he's just like watching tape and he just wants to put on some, to make him feel, make him feel good. Whose tape does he like to watch? First name he said was Deron Payne. Now I know that was a couple years ago, but I'm just saying there is an affinity for this guy from, from the guy in charge of the, of the defense. So it wouldn't stun me if there's a, if at some point Washington were to pivot, but that would mean that Montez Sweat and Chase Young fell off in some capacity. And I don't think we're there yet. Both of them had disappointing years last year, particularly Chase Young before the injury. But um, I don't think it's unquestioned. I don't think it's impossible that they would pivot away from the, from one of those defensive ends to go to pain. If the circumstances play itself out, I just don't see that as the likely scenario, like probably not even close, but Chase Young will be interesting. If you missed it in part two of that observation story, I spoke with an orthopedic surgeon who's a consultant for the um, for the Los Angeles Galaxy of the of major Major League Soccer, and he said he doesn't. He said that even though Chase Young had sort of an unusual procedure, he didn't think that that would necessarily mean a longer recovery timeline for Chase Young. However, he put the recovery time in general of nine to twelve months and suggested that the graph that Chase Young had done off of the, uh, from the one knee to the, from his right knee to the injured left knee, uh, right? I think I have that order, right? From the injured knee to the healthy knee, from the healthy knee to the injured knee, let's just leave it at that. He didn't think that that would necessarily, again, push the timeline back, but it could mean closer to being the back end of that recovery versus the nine month. And the difference here is that nine months for Chase Young gets you basically right back to week one. But anything longer than that, even a few weeks, could mean going on IR. And then um, he also said, because his name was Clint Soppy, the orthopedic surgeon, that the explosiveness from a pass rusher, just because you're playing, doesn't mean the explosiveness is all the way back. So it's a world where Chase Young isn't really 100% until the following year and 
at that point, Washington could have to make some tougher decisions. If Payne is entering free agency, you know, do you let him walk? What do you do? You know, would you really move on from from Chase Young or Montez Sweat? I, 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 I struggle to say that they would at this point, but I don't think it's inconceivable. And that's why it's a good, fun question to consider. Um, all right, we're going to sort of put a end that there. I need to get back to uh, my, my vacation, so to speak, uh, and getting ready for that. So thanks to everybody who asked the questions. Thanks to Taylor Stubblefield for his time. Look forward to catching up with everybody when I get back from my time away. But for now, that's it here on the podcast. Until next time. See ya.